it's another episode of Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. I sell propane and propane accessories. And my name is Matsy. I'm the other M. Micah. On Animation Celery, we assign cartoons and then review and discuss them the following week. We're going to go hard into the 90s and look at the first four episodes of Botsmaster. Don't remember Botsmaster? It's a cartoon full of robots. And the third dimension. Hmm. <laughs> As always, let's get one dimensional and talk about ourselves. What's going on, Matsy? Uh, let's see. The first thing I would like to do is correct an egregious error that we made last week. Oh, no. Uh, we completely failed to mention the sad, sad passing of Gilbert Gottfried. I was wondering, yeah. I was wondering if it was intentional or what, but... No, it just, like, I was thinking about it before we went in, but it just never came up. Um, of course, Gilbert Gottfried's a comedian, um, but really, he became well-known for just being Gilbert Gottfried in things. Because right. his voice is so distinct. You, everybody knows him best as, um, Iago the Parrot in Disney's Aladdin and its various, uh, continuations. But... Mm. He's been in every like there was I saw a little YouTube video where someone had like spliced together his various appearances in like fairly odd parents. And I think SpongeBob was in there. Duck Man, mm. um, just Thumbelina, I think maybe. Um, yeah, but Pr pretty important yeah. character in fairly odd parents. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen much of that show. What character is he? Ah. Uh. You know, I don't watch it that much either, but I think he's like, um, he's like a, a well, to, a high to do in the fairy uh, hierarchy. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, and then most recently that I'm aware of, uh, perhaps his last role. Gosh, that's kind of weird to think about. Um, I mentioned before he was God in the eighth episode of uh, Smiling Friends. Mm-hmm. Which just this last, like, what was it, like, February that came out? Yeah. When he died, I looked it up because I was thinking, like, was the last thing he was in Angry Video Game Nerd? <laughs> <laughs> As Fred Fox. Hmm. But no, no, he did other work besides. Okay. Anyway, that's too bad. His his voice is so distinct. He's, he, it was a tremendous loss. Like it's 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 a shame that you won't be watching some cartoon and all all of a sudden someone will talk <laughs> like this and you're like, whoa, it's him. And uh, that won't happen anymore. Well, pretty polarizing, I think. I mean, well, yeah, he had his controversy. Well, I, I just mean like whether or not you like him. Oh, OK. Like, I I don't know. I I, I wasn't that much into him. Um, I kind of like him just being him rather than uh, doing a dramatic role or narrative role mm -hmm. I mean mm. um, I'll tell you my favorite bit of his is a pretty stupid bit <laughs> where he tells the story about he wandered into the land of the one name people <laughs> and it's just him listing like one name celebrities and Cher was there and Sting was there and they said <laughs> get the two name boy and uh, <laughs> yeah it's just him like going through a litany of one name celebrities and at the end he escapes into the land of the three name people <laughs> and, yeah, and then it's like, um, Jonathan Taylor Thomas was there, and he runs through all them, and yeah, same yeah. same yeah. joke. Get the two-name boy. It's stupid, but, you know, <laughs> uh, 
not a lot of his humor is high-minded exactly. Well, no. It's like, like I said, he kind of, if you think about it, what he's best known for is really just being him in, or, or his voice. Like, nobody's, nobody can pretend that they don't know who that voice actor is. Like, you don't see some character show up in, you know, like there's a lawyer in Duckman and he doesn't show up and go, oh, there's a lawyer who's sure going to be a lawyer. It's like, oh, it's Gilbert Gottfried doing the voice of that lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think else it, I, I, his voice kind of subsumed his regular persona. You know, like we yeah. talked about Bobcat Goldthwait before and now. Right. You know, but like Gilbert Gottfried, I feel like. Um, polish that voice to the extent that was his basic voice. Yeah. You know, like you watch his stand up and he does very normal sounding voices too. Like when he's doing his, his father as a character and the like, well, Mm -hmm. not normal, I guess, but more normal. (laughs) No. I mean, it's kind of a blessing to have a voice that distinct, you know? Yeah. Like he made money off of that. I, the most, the thing that I always think about, I don't know why this tickles me. Mm -hmm. Um, but he got in trouble for making a joke about the uh, uh, Japanese tsunami some years ago. Oh, my God. You recall. Like, yeah. Um, but I remember there was like a show or a podcast or something. And he was on with Weird Al Yankovic. Mm. And he said something like, so you do song parodies. And and Al just kind of goes, <laughs> yeah. And I, I hear you make ill-timed tsunami jokes. Uh. And... <laughs> and uh, that got Gilbert. He laughed. Anyway, yeah. sad to lose him. Um, yeah, we he will be. I. It's sad to think that I he won't surprise me in you know the Owl House or something in the future. <laughs> yeah. Um. Other than that, let me see. I watched a little bit of. I was I was kind of flipping through Netflix to see if I could find something that might be worth talking about, and something that caught my eye was. Uh, I can never remember this. The show had two names. Um, uh, I believe the name they settled on was Harvey Girls Forever. Oh, okay. Are you aware of this one? Yes. Yeah. This is a, It kind of caught my eye because I was like, oh, I think little Audrey's in this. Yeah. And yeah, and she is. Yeah, this is the concept is it's various Harvey Comics characters, except instead of being Harvey Comics, they live on Harvey Street. And... Mm. The main three are Audrey, Dot, and Lotta, who are kind of like the neighborhood heroes fighting for justice. Mm. Um, and I watched this one episode where it was the first episode, I guess, where uh, this little kid named Tiny wanted to get in the tree fort. And so the girls were trying to help him out because Audrey, who is a like energetic, aggressive tomboy in this. Yeah. Um, she was holding a grudge against one of the boys because some years ago he called her a butt sandwich. Okay. But then it turned out that because because she was eating a sandwich at the time, but it turned out that he was actually trying to warn her that he had sat on that sandwich and he was he wasn't calling her a butt sandwich. She was war- he was warning her that she was about to eat a butt sandwich. I guess he only had so many words to get it out. Ah, butt sandwich. Yeah. But anyway, it's it, that just that was just kind of cool. It's like, oh, there's still little Audrey going around. That's neat. Yeah. You know what? Um, so I've I have like plans for future episodes. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, I was going to do this in like a couple episodes. I was going to say, Harvey Girls Forever. I've been building toward this with all these little Audrey shorts. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I haven't watched, I've only watched the first episode and the, and it's like half-sodes. So I've only right. seen like 0.5 of an episode. So you can still spring that on me at some point. Well, we'll see. Well, we'll not. I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about it anyway, so that's that's fine enough. Yeah, um, okay. I thought I had really good fortune. There's, like, <laughs> the barest sniff of this on the internet that mm-hmm. DreamWorks was thinking of making a little Audrey movie. Oh. Yeah, and just that, like, one Google result made me get excited and think, you know what, I'll just pretend this was my plan all along. That I was building the hype to this little Audrey movie. But there's so little on it, I think it's an abandoned project. Oh, yeah. Hmm. That's, wow. I mean, you know, <laughs> little Audrey's a pretty narrow niche that, like, you and me are into. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it could be anything now, right? Yeah. Uh, it was, it was her classic that? design, though, not not uh, her Harvey Girls. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Well, interesting. Yeah. I feel like there was something else that I did or watched, but I can't think of what it was. Hmm. Maybe I'll think. Why don't you go ahead and um, maybe if I think of it, I will uh, come back to it. Okay. Um, I was examining tabletop RPGs. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't... I talk about this stuff enough. I guess anyone who's listened this long isn't turned off by talk about role-playing games. Um, mm. Okay, so I was looking at SRDs, so system reference documents, like RPGs that are provided as bones on which to make your own RPG. Uh-huh. Um. So there's a bunch of them out there. Dungeons and Dragons did this uh, like a decade and a half ago, two decades ago, when third edition came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They decided this is going to be the D20 system. Yeah, yeah. So one of the trends in role-playing games, especially smaller ones, is fail-forward style of play. Yeah. It's very interesting to me. So you can imagine if you've played role-playing games that maybe you roll a die and if it's this high, you succeed. And if it's any lower, then you fail. Well, yeah. uh, games with a fail-forward philosophy have expanded the degree by which you succeed because, you know, the game wants you to get through the locked door or translate the hieroglyphs or whatever. Um, but you also take a penalty, right? So it could be like, if you don't roll well enough, sure, you climb over that thing, but your satchel gets stuck on a tree branch and falls, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. You're imposed a penalty. And I think that's really interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. Really forward to playing in something like that. Um, Yeah. I, I'm really fascinated by the idea that like this, it's something that came up. I think I read it in the D and D fourth edition dungeon master's guide, which mm -hmm. I really liked. I thought that was a great guide to being a DM. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was, it was like kind of presented the idea, like, you know, if if your party, you know, fails at the thing you're trying to do, if they all fail in combat or there's a challenge that they're trying to overcome and they don't, that's not the end of the game. Like, mm. think of a way for them to, like, continue the story. And I love that idea, like the idea that nothing 
stops the game. Like, oh, I failed this roll. I guess we can't climb this cliff. Yeah. But then keep going. What else do you do? It's not like the heroes are just going to go, oh, like the apprentice and turn around and go back to their master because they couldn't get past the tree. Well, some games really work along those lines where you don't fail, but rather uh, that failing forward chips away at you until you have the risk of ultimately losing. Mm -hmm. Um, Like Torchbearer, um, you run out of uh, light or food or whatever while you're uh, delving the dungeon. Um, Or like uh, Blades in the Dark is a game where you're pulling heists, but Whenever you're confronted with a uh, an obstacle, you mm-hmm. then role play a flashback where you have prepared for the obstacle. <laughs> okay. But you have a limited number of flashbacks. So it's like this is all going according to plan until there's finally the, you know, the the one extra wrong thing that is the uh, straw that breaks the camel's back and you end up, you know, it becomes a fiasco and you're running around and trying to get away and the like, right? It's like um, Slumdog Millionaire, the RPG. <laughs> Could be. So one of the ones I was looking at is called Lumen, yeah. which is kind of an unfortunate name for an RPG, I think, because that comes up for so many other like video games and stuff. But anyway, mm-hmm. Lumen. Um, it's a very simple RPG. Normally, I don't like those ones that are kind of like, you know, we barely have anything here. You, you make it up, right? Because I feel yeah. I, I could do that anyway. But I think... <laughs> In simplicity, it's got some pretty good bones here. So it's focused especially on combat and especially on feeling like you're ultra powerful and cool. And uh, to a degree, well, in, in its philosophy, it's meant to emulate video games like Borderlands and Diablo and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it works with simplicity. Like there's no skills or anything. You basically have three... Uh, three statistics, three ability scores. Yeah. Um, And you can skin them to whatever game you're making on the system. Uh, Reductively, they're kind of amount to strength, dexterity, and intelligence. Mm -hmm. But they're broader. So like the strength one could be also be uh, audacity, you know? (laughs) Um, And the dexterity could be deafness, you know? And the intelligence one could be um, focus or mindfulness, you know? Right. I'm only having a look at it now. It's kind of, it's interesting, but a lot of people develop things that have been illuminated by Lumen, right? <laughs> so you can, you can look at the uh, thing, other things people have made. Now, because it's so light, the result is sometimes what you see is not that polished, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> people release their final versions and they still have, like, they've forgotten to uh, replace their placeholders and stuff, but. Anyway. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's the internet. Yeah. Um, but the ideas are interesting. So in the ideas of like emulating video games, for example, I don't remember the name of this, but I guess I'll, I'll, I'll tweet it out when I figure out what it is. But uh, it's um, it emulates beat-em-ups, classic beat-em-ups. Mm-hmm. And so the game itself has missions, right? However you want to call them, missions or strikes or whatever, right? Yeah. And for this game, it's streets. You beat the street, then you beat that street and so on. You know, hmm. it's one of these games where you're beating guys up, you're picking up weapons, you're squatting on a pizza to recover your health. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, kind of interesting, I think. Now, <laughs> uh, 
I had this notion because because the three ability scores are, you know, like being audacious and big or being uh, sly or deaf or being artful, right? Yeah. That um, what if there was a fan Magic the Gathering role-playing game based around this system? Mm-hmm. And your three ability scores, you're like picking up spells and stuff and some of them work better for different ability scores. Your three ability scores are Timmy, Spike, and Johnny. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll explain for people who don't know why that's so hilarious. Um, <laughs> so Wizards of the Coast have a model of three, well, model of their three primary consumers. There is Timmy, who just wants things to be big. He wants to do things that are uh, spectacles, you know, deal a ton of damage, pull out a huge creature, do these big game-changing effects. Um, Spike is just the guy who wants to win. So he'll see the the true value in like, ah, it's one three and allows me to look at the top of my deck once in a while, you know, <laughs> things that are unspectacular like that, but are the best bang for the buck. And he also tends to like, uh, see the merit in doing things that feel bad, you know, like losing, losing cards for benefits and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. and then there's Johnny who, uh, want, He's not trying to do something bad, but he's trying to express himself. So hmm. he might do the suboptimal thing, or he might see the potential in a card that Spike doesn't. So, yeah, yeah, it'd be fun if there was like, obviously, Wizards of the Coast owns both Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering, and they've woven those two together and they wouldn't yes. do this. But a fan could make this and it would be fun, you know, just to like pick up spells that have only certain number of uses and, you know, figure like, oh, his Timmy stats, the best, give him the, give him the dragon. Right. <laughs> and then give, give spike the discard. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I'm pretty interested in Lumen and seeing what, what, what can be done with that. Uh, just, mm. just having a look over it. It's a, um, donate whatever you feel like, uh, for the, and it, it's not much. It's like I said, it's really bare, yeah. but, it's interesting. A nice little read. You know, you could donate zero if you wanted. $2 is recommended. Um, mm -hmm. So I have another um, role-playing game thing to talk about. Same, uh, a branch from the same tree. So another system is Caltrop. And... Oh, I... Why do you I know, know that one? name? I, it, it sounds really familiar. It's based on D4s. And basically the reason why D4 is because it's totally distilled that fail forward kind of thing where like they figure there's four results basically that can come of you trying something, you know, like the resounding success, the utter failure. And then I guess two grades of yes, buts, right? But it prompts me to do my hot take on D4s, at least for Dungeons and Dragons and maybe in general, they're an impractical die. <laughs> I would get rid of them from Dungeons and Dragons. So hmm. a, a D4 is pyramid shaped, you yeah. know, four, four sides on this die. Um, it doesn't tumble as well as other dice. So you have to have like an extra little flick, a little flick to your hand to make it tumble more. Right. Otherwise it'll just fall yeah. dead. Um, so there's that, but also 
when you roll a six-sided die or an eight-sided die or whatever, the result is the facet that points up at you. <laughs> but when you roll a D4, it's a facet that points to your belly. Whether the number is on the bottom or it's on the point of the pyramid, everybody does that little cockatoo bob whenever they roll the D4, you know, (laughs) (laughs) to see what the result is. Uh, uh. Okay, so on top of that, for a game like Dungeons & Dragons, where D4 is generally a damage dice, talk about having very little uh, consequence, right? Mm, Like even a D6, you feel you feel quite disappointed when you roll a one, but you feel a little thrill when you get a six and yeah. not so much anything when you get any result on a D four, right? Yeah. Um, there is in fifth edition, there's a spell called bless. It's been around basically all the way back to advanced dungeons and dragons. And you could argue that it's the best bless has ever been. Yeah. You target a bunch of people and maybe yourself included and all those people Whenever they make an attack roll or a saving throw, they roll a D4 and add it to that D20. Right? Hmm. Okay. Here's the thing, though. I think it would be better as a flat plus two, even though the average of a D4 is 2.5. It's two and a half. Right. And the reason why is because I always feel like a big nuisance whenever I've cast that spell. (laughs) Right? Like, they'll roll the die and get told, miss. And I'll go, ah, the D4! (laughs) <laughs> and then they'll pick it up. They'll do that extra flick, do the cockatoo bob and miss anyway. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or they'll, they'll hit, but I'll, I'll, I'll have reminded them already. Ah, oh, the, the blessed D four. And then they'll roll it and go, ah, three more on that. And the DM will tell the dungeon master will tell them, Oh, well you hit anyway. Right. Again, I'm just <laughs> this big nuisance. <laughs> In this sense, I think the plus two is better than an average of two and a half and having to roll that die. It's also quicker, right? Yeah. Um, and here's the other thing. D4. So what is it used for? Daggers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Who cares? When you say D, When you say D4, the first thing that comes to my mind is a wizard who's out of spells. Now, right. not so much a problem now that Magic Missile is a cantrip, but. Oh, that's, it isn't. No, that's, that's, that's a first level spell. But there, there are cantrips, yeah. Oh, they're, they're, yeah, 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 yeah. Ray, Ray of Frost or whatever. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, like, that's my first, like, third edition. It's like, well, I've used all my spells, uh, and I don't understand how scroll crafting works. Yeah. So I guess stab, stab, stab. Yeah. But here's the thing on that. Okay, so even if you find a magical dagger, they just end up going, like, in the bag, right? <laughs> they just end up getting hawked for whatever. Um, here's the thing. Okay, so... Short swords have almost no meaning in the current iteration of the game. Their basic meaning, they're finesse weapons, so there's that, but their basic meaning is so that you can dual wield them because they're both light and finesse, right? <laughs> yeah. And dual wielding is terrible. Like even small creatures like halflings, they they made the rapier usable by them. So the short sword doesn't really matter that much at all. And in real life, when you're talking like uh, historical weapon people, when they... Sometimes the dagger is longer than the short sword. And sometimes the short sword is shorter than the dagger, you know? Hmm. So I say, just get rid of the short sword. Just make it a dagger that does a D6. It's the same thing with a throwing Hmm. range. Who cares? (laughs) And then, 
The other instance is magic missile, make it a D6. Who cares? Two to five or one to six, whatever. And <laughs> some some other weird 5 isms like Cloud of Daggers is a spell that does 10d4 damage. Give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Now, I actually think the d4 is kind of cool, but, you know, it's impractical. So I say just toast it. Get rid of it. I have a, I can't remember what they call them, like gem dice or shard dice. Do you know yeah. what I mean? They're like I do. horizontal dice. So it's yeah. like a four. The d4 is like a rectangle. Like yeah. You picture like a four sided thing and the ends are pointed so it can't land on those ends. So you just roll it and it and the right side comes up. Um, hmm. So that's kind of cool. Um, I wonder when I think of deep fours. Sorry, what? Well, I was, I was going to wonder what a uh, probability mathematician would say about that. Hmm. I don't know. I, they, there's things like the D30 doesn't have equal facets. They're all a little different. Not all oh. a little different, but there's, some of them are different than others. So they'll argue hmm. that's not a good representation of equal chances of rolling from 1 to 30. Hmm. Well, I mean, I, the sides of a D4, this D4 that I'm describing are identical, except for the number yeah. on them. So yeah. I can't. Hmm. Um, I have to mention that D4... They're all the dice are items in the Binding of Isaac. Yeah. Um, the D4. It all comes back to Isaac. <laughs> it all does. Yeah. In fact, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The D4, I don't. It used to be one of the most powerful items in the game because what it would do uh-huh. is it, it re-rolls all the items that you have. Huh. And the thing is that there are transformations in the game. Like if you get like three certain, like if you get three cat related items then you become guppy and your tears start generating flies that deal double damage. And also you fly <laughs> things like that. Okay. Right? And so you could like roll and roll and roll. And eventually it's like, Oh, you've in the course of rolling through a million items, you've gotten three guppy items. So you're guppy now, hmm. but they changed it in the new expansion. So that once you roll out of an item, you don't count as having had it anymore. And that has basically destroyed that item it's unusable now that's too bad um yeah i don't like the d4 anymore it used to Mm. be good but um speaking of which somebody i i'm gonna come back to this later but my friend uh mebs who does a webcomic called dmfa dan and mebs furry adventures yeah um she tweeted or retweeted a tweet that somebody did which was it was one of those it was the last two video games you played fused together What's the result? I've seen this, yeah. And I was like, man, Binding of Isaac and Mario Kart 8. And the yeah. idea of a roguelike kart racer is really doing it for me. Yeah, with like lots of weird dead ends and jumps and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like instead of like those single use items that you get in the treasure boxes, there's like an item that's a permanent upgrade for your cart. Huh. And... Oh, so you do a whole circuit and you'd have yeah, runs. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, it would be like like the same way that there are like multiple levels in, you know, Spelunky or floors in the Binding of Isaac. Yeah. It's like you just go through a whole like, you know, 16 course race getting progressively harder and, you know, getting all kinds of weird random items along the way. I almost find it hard to believe this doesn't exist, but. No kidding, right? Yeah. 
like, yeah, like a Binding of Isaac kart racer with all 34 characters. Is it 30? Yeah, 34 characters. And you're like, man, yeah, that's a that's a cool idea. I think. Yeah. Procedurally um, generated tracks. Yeah. Neat. Yeah. I'm into it. Hmm. Um, I remember the other thing that I had. Okay. Um, apparently Aqua Teen Hunger Force is back. <laughs> yeah. The uh, cartoon that seems to have more of uh, stops and restarts than Futurama. Yeah. Um, it's just little shorts on YouTube. It has a name. I can't remember it. It's like Aqua Teen Badonkadonk or something like that. Like side okay. stories. And they're just like really quick little stories. Yeah. But the thing is like, I, I was just kind of amazed. It's like, there's mo- they're still doing Aqua Teen Hunger Force in 2022. Mm-hmm. But uh, not much to say about it, except like, man, that's it just keeps coming, doesn't it? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so from there, we transition into uh, the bots master and yes. not a great transition, but um, we're going to talk about it. Micah, did you want to give a kind of a overview, like a very because, you know, a lot of the actual plot of it is explained in the first episode. Maybe so yeah. maybe you don't have to go too much into that. But like, yo, what is the bots master for those of us who have forgotten it? OK, it is the year 2025. <laughs> Robots serve mankind all over the world. The prevailing form is the 3A series distributed by Robotic Megafact Corporation or RM Corp from Mega City. A young inventor of the 3A robot, Ziv Zoolander, learns that the CEO, Louis Leon Paradim, plans world domination through a plan to install robot-controlling crane chips in all 3As. And Ziv flees and acts as a guerrilla resistance against Paradim, with the aid of his next-generation robots, BOYS! So BOYS stands for Brain-Operated Young Zygotopic Zoids. Makes sense. Yeah, sure. Unlike 3As, they're sentient, agile, and don't move and speak like molasses. <laughs> Twig, one of the larger boys, can transform, like a transformer, if you will, into a flying car when he has his armor on. Jammers and Tools, two construction worker bots turned warriors, are ZZ's lieutenants. Genesis is his scientific assistant, and there are really just too many boys to name. So you're <laughs> just going to have to keep up during the synopses. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the henchmen to Paradim and vice presidents of the company include Lady Frenzy, a femme fatale, and Dr. Hiss, a terribly deformed cyborg and roboticist. Besides his crane ship plan, Paradim has many avenues to control, that include mastery of politics and the news media. Longtime celery stalkers may recognize Jean Chalopin as a cartoon producer who largely worked with Deke Entertainment. Here, his company Creativité et Développement teams with Saban International. Yes, that Haim Saban. The gimmick to the show was that each toy in its merchandise line came with a pair of 3D glasses. 
You see, short segments of the show, announced as laser time, used the Pulfrick effect. Darkened moving images create an optical illusion when less light reaches the right eye of the viewer. So, say with uh, one lens from sunglasses. Those darker parts register one frame later to the brain and create a 3D effect. That's the theory, anyway. Hmm. Botsmaster lasted one season and ended on a cliffhanger, never to be resolved because its toy line didn't sell well enough. Yeah, and... Uh, hmm. I was, yesterday, as I'm recording this, mm-hmm. um, the previously mentioned friend, Mebs, was doing a stream on Picarto where she was drawing the uh, new uh, comic in her comic. Okay. The, the new page. And I went in there and was chatting and kind of mentioning the podcast. And someone asked, like, what's, it, what's, what's next? And I said, oh, watching some thing called Botsmaster. And the number of people in that chat who were like, oh, Botsmaster, Ziv Zoolander, ZZ for short. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was like, I'm like, am I the only person in the world who doesn't remember this show? Yeah. There is actually one thing that I do remember in this show. Okay. It turns out. I'll, uh, I'll mention it when we get there. Um, but let's uh, start breaking it down. Um, we got four episodes to go through, and I will describe what happens in the first one. Which is, of course, the setup episode and explains a lot of the stuff that Micah just explained. Yeah. But here we go. It is called Adios, ZZ. And it starts with a news report from Lonnie Chang from Mega City, which is the home <laughs> known as the city that never sleeps. So I guess it's built on top of Las Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, home of the robotic mega fat corporation. Um, and there's Lonnie Chang is just giving her expositions like, oh, the court produces the 3A robots. They do all the work. Meanwhile, Ziv Zoolander is doing his own parallel exposition by talking into a recorder for future generations in case he fails. Because the corporation seems peaceful and beneficial, but they're actually plotting, as as previously described, to upgrade all the world's 3As with the Krang chip. That's Krang like the brain in Ninja Turtles. Yeah, and, you know, I think that's pretty clever the way they did that, yeah. where it's parallel setup. Yeah, he says and she says. But one thing about that seemingly good RM corporation, (laughs) like, oh, well, I guess maybe we should discover some of these villains first. I'll get back to it. Okay, okay. Anyway, um, the the, what the Krang chip will do is it basically allows the RM Corp to override the robots. And so essentially by installing Krang chips into because because the three A's are in every home across the world. And by turning, putting a chip into all of them so that they'll obey commands only from the RM Corp, RM Corp will basically have a worldwide military. And yeah, that's the plan. Um, but ZZ, as previously mentioned, has his own robots. They were, they were originally built as his like playmates, which is why they're all such goofballs. But, um, He's got to use them as commandos, I guess. In the uh, news report, we meet Louis Leon Paradim, or LLP, which is not a good nickname. 
It's it's really <laughs> clumsy. Oh yeah. Um, well, it's just like you know, usually a nickname is initials like you know LP would be fine. Like hey, come yeah. on LP. It's like hey LLP. Like that extra initial like makes it clumsy to say. Hmm. Um. But yeah, he he uses. Um, he is questioned as to whether he might run to be the first president of the world, but he deflects that. He is more interested in his uh, fantastic announcement of the Krang chip, which he claims will triple the strength and productivity of three A's and they'll all be installed free of charge. And the rep- oh, the report is being watched by Lady Frenzy and Dr. Hiss. And just then they receive information that Ziv Zoolander has discovered their true plan. ZZ continues his recording, explaining the the boys. But then a boys named Swang, which is kind of a jumping beetle thing, shows up and lets Ziv know that the security bots are onto him. And so Ziv makes his escape. Uh, Swang helps distract and destroy the idiotic security droids. It's kind of oh, like... In Star Wars Episode One, I was going to say it. Yeah. Yeah. There's criticism about how bad the droids are. Yeah. And George Lucas has said that's intentional because that's why they needed to shift to clones, because droids were just too dumb. And these ones have those ones beat. (laughs) Oh, man, they are so bad. Anyway, when when the uh, swang is jumping between them, they end up destroying each other. Yeah, really. Just shooting indiscriminately. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Swang helps distract and destroy the droids. And then Ziv's uh, big robot bodyguard, Twig, uses his ability to um, change into a car to get ZZ out of trouble. Oh, yes. But uh, if we want to put the PS de resistance to making these uh, guard robots seem useless... <laughs> Twig takes them out by taking a globe, like a, a big statue of a globe. Yeah, like an atlas. And using it like a bowling ball, <laughs> knocking them all over with the pins falling sound effect, that sound effect. <laughs> yeah. If you want to diminish your bad guys in a hurry. <laughs> well, I mean, they're really, it's it, it, it's like intentionally displaying how dumb these droids are. Like, like when Twig yeah. shows up, one of the droids is like, asking for ID and then he yes. runs over the droid and the droid's still on the ground asking for ID. Like these droids <laughs> well, are just idiots. And he answered first, you know, like out of the way or be destroyed. <laughs> Dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, we get a little shot here of Frenzy and Hiss reporting the doings transpiring to LLP. And this sets up the idea that the two minions clearly don't trust each other. Frenzy wants ZZ alive for questionable reasons, but her her stated reason is that he's so brilliant, he should be, he, if they could convince him to work for the Corp again, it'll be beneficial to him. But Hiss is like, screw that. He is worried that ZZ is going to the Krang chip factory and they can't risk it. And LLP agrees. ZZ meets up with the street boys, jammers and tools. Uh, Jammers, by the way, is your required character who only talks in rhyme. Mm -hmm. And they are ready to blow up the factory. But they never did any reconnaissance to see if there are people inside. ZZ gets... Yeah, Hmm? they sent sent Swang to do it. And then he was chased out. And it's like, you know what? Blow it up. (laughs) Yes. 
Yes. No. Exactly. Yes. Um, I, I think something is shows missed. up. To, like he, he, it so, was supposed to make it seem like he was scouted it or something. Um, I have mentioned previously that I think French animation has some of the worst localization. Like I've oh. said, like I can recognize just from listening to the voice acting when a cartoon is originally French. Yeah. Okay. I knew immediately this was French and there are times like there's a time later. I think it might be in the next episode actually. Yeah. Where like the 3d segment starts and it's like yeah. several seconds before the code word laser time is uttered. Uh, yeah. Like just poor localization all around here. But anyway, okay. basically Hiss shows up in his big mech and ZZ's like, okay, can't, can't wait anymore. Let's blow it up. And the explosion ridiculously sends ZZ and the boys flying away where they are picked up by Twig, who can also turn into a plane. The oh, heroes, a car with tiny wings, my favorite. Well, yeah. And, and these yeah. tiny wings have handholds so that the boys can hang on to them, which uh, destroys the stability of a flying machine. But anyway, yeah. boy, I have a few things to say about the technology in this show, but Although I'll get I, there. I do kind of like that they hold on to jets and stuff yeah yeah that there's no room for them and you know they're just a robot so just hang on yeah but also from a practical toy perspective that's the yeah. way you would transport them right <laughs> you just yeah. hook them into the whole the little hooks on the wings of the toy yeah true yeah yeah anyway um the heroes go to zz's house which is in the middle of nowhere and can be lowered in the ground for hiding there follows an interminable sequence of obnoxious <laughs> boys, which yeah. serves to introduce them and their supposed coolness, Poochie style. Um, there's a series of, I think there's five heads without bodies. Yes. And they're like, do you, re this is a weird thing. You will know it. And maybe listeners who've been following around will know it. But Kaiba. You remember that long sequence in the first episode where there's that wheel with all the heads and they just talk right. about nothing forever? That's every episode. That's what these boy, these these talking heads are, especially the pink one that laughs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, I don't mind the green one that is a little effeminate. Um, mm. But yeah, this <laughs> I was thinking about this scene, like, okay, there's a million of these things. Yes. Seriously. It's like yes. no design got nixed from this. Uh -huh. um, and when you think about Generation 1 Transformers, <laughs> think about all the vocal tics of the Autobots and imagine them all in one room, you know? <laughs> or go a step further. Imagine the Muppets all talking at once. <laughs> That's kind of what you have in ZZ's house. Oh, man. Yeah, it's... Boy, I can imagine why this toy line didn't sell well if none of the toys are likable in the cartoon. Heh. <laughs> anyway, the other point of this scene is to set up that the corp controls the media. Because the news report comes on and labels ZZ as a wanted criminal. If this was 10 years later, they'd probably say terrorist for blowing up this factory yeah. but uh yeah um the boys and zz plot their next move and the smarty pants boys de nerd calculates that the corpse most likely attempt to get to zz will be by moving against his 10 year old sister blitzy 
who is at the corpse boarding school. Meanwhile, Frenzy, Hiss, and LLP use the opposite logic, but come to the same conclusion. They assume that ZZ's next move will be to check on his sister. So this is where this episode's 3D sequence comes in. And hearing you say right eye earlier makes me think yeah. I may have been wearing my lens, my popped out sunglass lens over the wrong eye the whole time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because I didn't really get like it felt like something was happening, but it wasn't really 3D to me. How did it work for you? Kind of that way. Yeah. So I ended up taking a break from the video and looking mm-hmm. up other Pulfric effect things. There's a whole bunch of videos that are like, this video is 2D oh. and 3D at the same time. I never thought of that. And it it varied. It In the show, it varies too. Sometimes mm. I can really see it. Most of the time, I'm not sure if I'm just convincing myself or not. Yeah. I think part of it is the 3D effect is not strong enough. Partly mm. because I'm not looking at a real a real object. I'm looking at, you know, a drawing, right? And also, though, it's not strong enough versus the frame. Mm. Like, when you go to the theater to see a 3D movie, it's pushed out from the border. Or the screen is so big, you're not looking at four borders. Yeah. And here, those four borders ground the image. Like, part of it is a trick on your eye. So it really varied in the show. Mm. Sometimes mm. I could see it. A lot of the times, I didn't see it very well. Well, anyway... The, th- the sequence is a battle where ZZ and the boys break into the boarding school and fight through security droids. Now, it turns out that 10-year-old Blitzy is a spunky little thing. She was already ready to fight her way out, and she's already told the other girls to hide in the basement because she knew that bad stuff was about to happen. The police are on the scene because, remember, ZZ is a criminal, and they mm. urge him to surrender. But while they're urging him to surrender, Hiss activates the Krang chips in the police bots. The police lose control of the droids, which you'd think would alarm them. And it does, right. but not not to any, like, lasting degree. Mm. And the droids move in to attack. But ZZ and the boys hold out until Twig arrives for the rescue, including a ridiculous sequence where ZZ throws his shoes in the air because <laughs> he figures his, like, biological scent or whatever will be on them. And all the helicopters attack the shoes. A lot of robots in this have very strong senses of smell. Yeah. Um, back at the base, the rebels make plans, and the most important plan comes from Genesis, the kind of creator droid. He claims that they have resources because their house is underground. They can mine. They have all kinds of resources. They can make more boys, and Blitzy likes the sound of that. And that's more or less where this one ends. Okay, I'll make my point about <laughs> this seemingly peaceful RM corporation. Yeah. Louis Leon Paradim, LL, looks like Lex Luthor. <laughs> <laughs> Hence the LL, I think. Yeah. Okay, so that for starters. And then it's a corporation, so they have shareholders. What do they think when they meet the vice presidents of this company? <laughs> Right, like, uh, meet uh, Dr. Hiss, this weird little goblin cyborg of a man. (laughs) (laughs) Is he actually a vice president? I think so. Because Frenzy is introduced later as the executive vice president, but I don't know that, at least not in the four episodes that I watched, I don't know if Hiss is ever explained that way. I think he's important enough that the shareholders would be aware of him, at least. Yeah, okay, fair. 
for, for the premise of my gag here. So uh, yeah, they, yeah. They, <laughs> they, they see him and they're like, Ugh. it's like, oh, and my, my other vice president. And they see friends and like, ah, lady frenzy. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, do you need enough earmarks that you're, this is an evil corporation? <laughs> I will say the one, I said there was one thing that I remembered about this after I watched yeah. it. And yeah. that's actually Dr. Hiss. Oh, yeah. I very distinctly remember a character with this weird red hose thing permanently in the corner of his mouth. Yeah. And I don't know why I would know that. Like 1993, I was too old to be playing with toys, really. Yeah. I wouldn't have bought these action figures. I have no memory of the show other than that. Hmm. Like it. it what, did I see somebody else had this toy? Did I see it in the store? Did I, um, is there a similar character in a video game somewhere? I, it really baffles me why that triggers so strong in my memory, but nothing else does. Hmm. But anyway, how about we get on to the next episode? The most, the most unfortunately titled one of the bunch. Enter the ninjas. Hmm. <laughs> So, ninjas, don't look it up in the Urban Dictionary, please. All right, Blitzy, Cook the Cook, Watson the Doctor, and Freehand, an arm that flies like a helicopter, steal food from the grocery store. Actually, she intends to pay for it, but she sets off the alarm when she tries to leave a note and money behind. I love that. Yeah, they can they can break into the place and walk all over it, and nothing yeah. happens. But when you open the register, which... I can tell you from working in a store that is closed at night and has cash registers, they empty. Yeah, you don't leave the money. Well, no, no, she was putting money in. Well, yeah, but like even so. Why would you put an alarm on it then? Yeah. yeah. Like when I worked Mm. at Pizza Hut, what we would do is we would actually, when we'd take all the money out of the drawer and then we would put the drawer upright on the counter facing the door so that anyone looking in could see that there were empty cash registers. Well. That's what happens in this cartoon. Yeah, yeah, okay. So the uh, the police bots arrive, but Blitzy uses freehand to blind the bots with spray paint. They're not really much better than the security droids at RM. The little bot gets damaged in the effort, though, but they get away in Blitzy's VAF jet. She gets scolded for her recklessness by her big brother, but ZZ doesn't stay angry for long, and he takes Blitzy on a tour of their underground bot assembly factory and she immediately has fun playing with the weaponized warrior bots meanwhile paradim and his i'm going to say his vice presidents um discuss turning the police and the public against zz additionally dr hiss shows off his new beast bot a monstrous quadruped robot that is locked on to zz's scent you gotta wash them boots and it's ready to hunt him down if he shows up anywhere in Mega City, which he plans to do because Zizi and Denerd, the nerd robot, come to town to get a history profile of Dragon Lee, the greatest ninja to ever live, as the basis for the skills of his new boys, ninjas. I was a little surprised that the best ninja in history was born in the 1950s, but even that late date, what remarkable film to hologram records they have of him. I had my mic muted, but I said, no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like Ninja. 
I don't know that ninja as a skill, I mean, ninjutsu, I guess, would be the skill. But yeah, yeah, I find it hard to believe that the best one ever would be a few centuries after the ninja cast, cased society had died out. Well, the video is him whooping butt on like a dozen karate guys who run away, understandably, when he starts throwing shuriken at them. <laughs> but uh, Disguised as an old man, Zizi has denerd, scan the details at the museum. But Hiss shows up, and his sniffing beast bot isn't fooled by any disguise. A manhunt proceeds through the city, and ultimately Dr. Hiss catches Ziv and takes him to his factory. Denerd does get back to the base, and Blitzy gets the ninja data, Loaded into ninjas. The proactive new bot immediately leads a mission to recover Ziv. Funny, but the assault on the factory actually showcases the sports boys as much as ninjas. <laughs> the sports boys are four bots that launch explosive volleyballs, baseballs, golf balls. You get the idea. Yeah. Inside the factory, Ziv is in the clutch of the fist of a giant robot called Goliath. A big battle ensues, and Keepaway is played with Goliath's remote control until ninjas can cut ZZ free. Twig crashes through the ceiling and honestly appears to kill Hiss and Frenzy with the debris. Yeah. But they survive. And the good guys make a getaway. Yeah, these episodes end pretty abruptly. Two, three, and four all end with them running away. Like, flying away at the end. Yeah. Which is okay, right? Like... I don't mind that turnabout because often it's the bad guys that end by flying away. And in this case, they're the renegades, right? Yeah. Or like you would expect with an ensemble cast like this, you'd think there'd be this one more wrap up scene where one character comes in and like, you know, cook like trips and spaghetti falls in his head and they all laugh and that's how it ends. You know, are you missing that scene? No, no. (laughs) (laughs) The less of cook, the better. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think this is probably the best episode of the four hmm. because it's not full of logic problems. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't have anything ridiculous like that explosion that launches the three guys at the beginning of the first episode. <laughs> and in fact, the animation is pretty good, only marred by some superfluous 3D. Yeah, I think the only thing I could really point at here is like, how do you get a DNA scan from a hologram? Yeah, they changed the term. What it it was like they called it something else and then it became DNA scan. I think it's like I DNA profile or something. But eh, what? Well, yeah, Dinner did it with his reader or something. So maybe yeah. he swiped a card or whatever. <laughs> but anyway, that's episode two. Which I mean, I guess means it's time for episode three. Yeah. Um, Blitzy's Battlebots Brigade. A title which will come into play in the last, like, two minutes of the episode. Mm. Uh, This one starts with ZZ and the boys hijacking a truck full of Krang chips and running it off the road. Seems like a victory until the RM Corp uses its control over the media to stage news that the fire caused by the crash spread to nearby homes and injured innocent bystanders. Are you disappointed, Micah, that I'm not going into detail about the cow cutouts that they fool these idiotic droids <laughs> with? <laughs> oh, well, I'll tell you one thing. Okay, on, on my <laughs> my uh, watch for how bad 
the 3A robots are. Uh-huh. The chopper bot, you can add him to the list of terrible 3As as he self-destructs when it presents itself with a logic paradox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They have to... They can't destroy the truck, but the truck's been hijacked and they need to destroy the hijackers. Ah, uh, boom. Yes. <laughs> so dumb. Okay. So the news report said, as I said, innocent bystanders were injured. And Lady Frenzy uses this news report to make a seductive offer to meet ZZ alone. Blitzy gains infinite respect from me for rightly calling out the transparent stupidity of her attempt to be seductive. I hate Lady Frenzy's voice, by the way. She oh, yeah. constantly sounds like she's seducing everyone, even yeah. when she's saying inconsequential things. Go she's like jail. Gilbert Gottfried. Oh, also, she, no she's, matter... She's done it so long that it's become her persona. Also, no matter what direction she's facing, her ponytail is hanging down in the center of her form. Yeah. Either like, if you're looking at her from the front, it's hanging between her breasts. If you're looking at it from behind, it's in the middle of her back. It's just, it constantly is facing the camera. It's weird. Hmm. Anyway. Okay, so yeah. So Z, Blitzy is like, this is dumb. Can you imagine anybody falling for this idiot? But ZZ falls for it because he's a stupid, idiot, moron that I hate. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I had a thought, though. Uh, Lady Frenzy, maybe she has two ponytails. <laughs> <laughs> Great. OK, this is who little Audrey grew up to be. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Lady Frenzy says. Um, OK, so now. That I'm very annoyed with ZZ, the talking heads start talking, and I struggle to stay watching this episode. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, ZZ then calls Lady Frenzy, who turns on her irritating charm, and my, the rest of my hair is gone. I look like Micah now from pulling it out. Uh. She, she basically tries to trace the call and find ZZ's location, but ZZ's boys deflect the call all around the world, so the trace doesn't work. Mm. The crux of the scene is that some of ZZ's boys will meet with some of RM's droids to decide where ZZ and Frenzy will then meet. Yeah. Worth noting, ZZ says no tricks or the whole deal is off. Right. Let's remember that. <laughs> well, he won't. ZZ sends his most inept fighters, Cook and Watson, to the rendezvous. Watson, by the way, is the doctor. Rocks to the dock. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently. Uh, Hiss is in the background of the meeting and he sends two of his dumb droids to negotiate, which the robots do by joining hands like um, um, Vulcans, Gelfling, Gelflings from oh, okay. the, um, the, the Dark right. Crystal. Yeah. OK. Um, they sh they have some IntelliLink or something. They can like connect their brains instead of talking whatever. Uh, Hiss uses this opportunity to initiate a scan to figure out how the boys' AI works. But fortunately, the street boys, jammer and to jammers and tools, are there too. <laughs> and a brief battle ensues. But it turns out the droids' brains are too inferior to handle the information from the boys' brains. And so the droid blows up. And when it blows up, Hiss attacks, but he's easily fended off. So the whole negotiation was a mess and the deal is off, right? 
You think? Wrong. Kazizi's an idiot, and he's still going to meet with Frenzy. Well, he you know busts... why? Hmm? Zizi is Thursday. I guess. Thursday. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> he busts out his favorite line, which he said more than once about, if there's one chance in a million, then I've got to take it. This is probably like some kind of like localization thing where, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes like somebody in Japanese, they'll say like a phrase like just now that when I, I, I did this thing just now, like English speakers don't usually use that phrase, but you hear it in j- translated Japanese a lot. And I think it's like huh. just some kind of weird translated French thing. Anyway. Okay. So there's one chance in a million that this isn't a trap, then he's got to take it, which is another reason why he's an irredeemable moron. <laughs> Apparently, despite falling apart, the negotiation works because they actually have a chosen meeting place. I think it's every time I try to justify something in this show, they immediately shut it back down. Yeah. Where I'm like, how did they get this, arrange this meeting place when the, one of the droids blew up? Well, turns out that the meeting place did get transferred to the destroyed droid's head. But yeah. also the destroyed droid gave a warning that the information would be deleted in 10 seconds. Uh, whatever, I'm beyond caring. And, Read it quickly. Yeah, okay, so dumb, stupid butt ZZ is ready to go. <laughs> and... Blitzy reveals to us viewers her plan, which is, guess what? Make a bunch of new robots with Genesis. The meeting is at an abandoned mine. Apparently, there are many abandoned locations in this high tech world. And there will be the reason for this is there's no innocent bystanders nearby. So ZZ shows up alone. He even dismisses his car jet bodyguard twig. And of course, Frenzy shows up and immediately springs the trap that every single human on Earth, even people in Antarctic research stations who don't know what's going on, knew was a trap. Because Zizi is the stupidest, most ineffectual hero ever. He I called, still think hmm? the one chance in a million, he was hoping to knock boots. Yeah. You know, there's even an episode about that. Really? Unbelievably. Huh. Yes. The boys think that Zizi needs a woman. <laughs> so they so they call a professional for him, a oh, model. No, but yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> oh boy, I find Frenzy repulsive. Like she's pretty, yeah. but her voice just grates on me so much. I like her outfit, especially like the yeah, uh, it's knee high pink boots with the black laces. Yes, that is good. That that is good. I I every time those boots were in shot, I was like, yeah, all right, that's cool. Yeah. And then she opens her mouth, and ew. Um. Hmm. So ZZ calls for Twig as Frenzy orders the million robots she brought with him to open fire on the guy she was trying to take alive two episodes ago. But... Oh, <gasps> they do it again, though. Yeah, Firing yeah, yeah. circle. Yeah. <laughs> but ZZ, hold on to your hats because ZZ <laughs> does something vaguely intelligent. He yeah. grabs Frenzy and turns on his anti-gravity boots to fly away with her as the hostage. But... Because it's Ziv Zoolander, his boots have the battery life of a leaky capacitor from an Xbox 360, and they fail because the battery dies in, and I timed this, 18 seconds. Well, it's designed for his weight, not his weight plus one lady. Oh, oh, so it should have been 39 seconds. Or <laughs> yeah. 30, 36, sorry. I, 
oh man, I'm talking about how dumb he is. And then I failed to add 18 and 18. 36, 36. Okay. But then the actual brains of the outfit, Ziv's 10 year old sister shows up with reinforcements to save the day. A 3D battle ensues in which the only noteworthy thing is the blaster sounds lifted directly from Star Wars. But just as it looks like Blitzy's heroes and the dead weight that is ZZ have won, Frenzy calls in a, the UFO from Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It drops an escape pod to pick up Frenzy, and then the perpetually late twig shows up. ZZ climbs in and heads for the ship with ninjas tagging along. Ninjas seems to know that this uh, UFO is full of bombs. He jumps up and makes some really obnoxious Wah! sounds so he can slice and dice some relatively minor damage into the ship, which is enough to make it explode, though it doesn't seem to crash on the people directly underneath it. And after using Frenzy's communicator to assure LLP that the battle has only just begun, the heroes fly away to be stupid somewhere else. <laughs> Okay, sidetracker. <laughs> there is a super popular anime that's just started called Spy X Family or Spy. Oh, I, well, I saw the thumbnail for that. Okay. <laughs> it gets off on a weird foot when there's a car that drives off of like a ramp, right? And crashes. Uh-huh. And it blows up so thoroughly. It's like an NES game vehicle blew up with just like an explosion. like Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> just like this flying saucer thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, <laughs> so how do we follow so, that up? <laughs> okay. Um, well, we have the fourth episode. Stop that. Oh, by the way, you know. Well, I got to go get that. Stop, the stop that bot. Stop that bot. Um, so Denerd postulates that the resistance's chances would be better if they knew RM Corp's plans ahead of time. Duh. And actually, you know, one thing I like, I do like jammers and tools. Hmm. This is the second time we get to see them wrestling like, a, like brothers. Okay. They just like to roughhouse. I kind of like that. Right. Um, also in the scene, Blitzy silences the nerd. He's, he's insufferable. He keeps talking, right? But yeah, it's like silences. he has a he has a tick where if someone asks what something is, even like, hey, what's up or what's happening yeah. or something like that, he will give the dictionary definition of the word. Several of them. But she silences him. He's got a basically a monitor, a screen for a face. Yeah. And she puts her hand over the mouth on his video screen, which I don't know, I think is kind of funny. <laughs> Well, <laughs> maybe unintentionally we're, so we're about to find out how fast and loose this show plays with the capabilities of CRT monitors. Oh, yeah. Yeah. OK, so ZZ introduces a new tool called mirrors that can transform any computer into a camera and microphone by which they can spy. How timely. Yeah, I've got something to say about this, but I'll save it for later. I will only okay, I will I will tease you by yeah. saying that this is the point where I paused it and dropped my head and put it in my hands. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he assigns tools and jammers to infiltrate RM headquarters dressed as maintenance bots, which they kind of are anyway. But I guess by this point, they're known boys and need a layer of disguise. They rig Lady Frenzy's computer, but on the way out are found by security bots. 
but as established, the security bots suck. So the two boys manage to fight their way out, blast a hole in the wall, and escape on twig in vehicle mode. Despite the obvious compromise of the building, the Mirrors program is allowed to work. So the stupidity flows both ways. Hmm. The good guys see Hiss and Frenzy discussing an upcoming demonstration of giant destruction bots. Well, one anyway. More than just destroying the robot, ZZ figures to sabotage it so that it will go berserk and then won't be entered into mass production. While a team sneaks Genesis into the test site to perform the sabotage, Blitzy works in the factory to make a five-vehicle giant combiner bot called Jungle Fiver. <coughs> Jungle Fiver. Hmm. All right. Hmm. Um, so the infiltrators get in through a vent tunnel. You see, the site was a former rocket launch platform. Um, Genesis gets inside the destruction bot, but the test begins before he can complete the sabotage. Meanwhile, Blitzy arrives with the jungle fiver, intent on blowing up the giant weapon because it's acting normally. Clearly, the mission failed. ZZ manages to communicate with Blitzy to call off her attack, and that gives Genesis time enough to warp the bot's actions. It attacks Paradim, Hiss, and Frenzy, but they manage to get away. The robot fails to perform. Happens to everybody. Uh, Genesis is recovered. And another episode ends with ZZ and company flying away at the very end. <laughs> I liked how, um, I, I guess, I, I'm not really sure what was happening here, but I guess uh, Blitzy is in her own little ship because there are clearly six vehicles flying in. And yeah. even when the bad guys say that they've detected five blips on the radar. Oh, right. There are six vehicles. Maybe some one of the letters of VAF stands for some kind of stealth thing. Huh. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, and there are five vehicles that nobody pilots. So, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, weird. They need I, to find five friends. I guess, yeah. Okay, so I will give you the thing that I was mentioning. I, I was driven to insanity by the idea of <laughs> software on a CD that could turn a computer monitor into a camera and microphone. It's and the I, future. Everything's got a webcam. Well, I started thinking about it. I thought, you know, I, I was trying to justify like, well, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, right? Um, <laughs> okay. And, and I was trying to think of a way to justify this, like tr to suspend my disbelief and like, and one of the most technologically minded people that I know is my brother-in-law, Mike. Okay. And so I texted him and I said, um, I got a mental exercise for you. I'm watching this cartoon for the podcast. The guy writes a software program that can turn a computer's monitor into a camera and microphone. Try to think about how this could possibly work. Okay. 45 minutes later, he sent me the longest te single text message I have ever received. It is four paragraphs. Okay. And here it is. Mm, goody goody. <clears throat> this is interesting. 
So if there were speakers in the monitor, it would be a relatively simple matter of flipping output to input. Speakers work in the same principle as microphones, just in reverse. You can attempt this yourself by plugging headphones into a microphone port. It would sound like junk, but it's possible. If there was no speaker on the monitor, I've read about hackers using fluctuations in component voltages to determine if there was some physical vibration, a bit like how voltage fluctuations can cause electrical things to hum, but in reverse. You'd need insanely sensitive measurements and equipment to make any use out of it, but in theory, I think you could detect sound waves physically vibrating electrical components by measuring the effect on the voltage. It would be like listening for a pin drop next to a jet taking off, though. Voltage regulation is not excellent in consumer electronics at the best of times. For the camera component, I was almost stumped. No modern monitor tech really has a way of taking light in. Then I thought about old CRT monitors. Side note. Uh, 1993, that's what these people would have. Yeah. That's cathode ray tube. Old broadcast TV cameras used a similar technology called video camera tube. Again, it would be a bit like using a speaker as a microphone, but for this to work, I think you'd need to find a way to turn light photons into electrons before the electrons can be detected by the tube. The front of the CRT monitor doesn't really do that. Side note, this is his side note, not mine. The guy who got the patent for the television system, including a way for the conversion and dissection of light, was named Philo T. Farnsworth. Futurama apparently used this as part of the inspiration for the episode All the President's Heads. Hmm. Ultimately, if your case was a modern monitor, I suspect it was just a camera under an OLED screen like they use in Android phones. Fun stuff. And there we have it. So it works. Yeah. Yeah. If it's an old <laughs> enough monitor, there's a way to do it. is uh, like the Tony Stark of this reality. So. I, I guess that's true, yeah. He kept his own heart beating with a car battery. Hey. Okay, about ZZ. Yeah. <laughs> All right, go ahead. So there's this philosophy. Like, you know how uh, top executives and companies turn over pretty quickly, you know, like three, four or five years? Uh-huh. The theory is is that like a CEO, all his best ideas are implemented by that time and he doesn't have his best, any, anything great left to offer the company, which mm. is why they turn over so much. Mm -hmm. So I figure ZZ at whatever age he is, like 20 maybe, mm. um, he's exhausted what he can do with bots, right? Like he he's cracked the obnoxious cook code, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> You know, he, he made the clumsy bird. He made the flying hand. And that's why he's he's able to, like, he's got resources to make bots in an afternoon, but doesn't, and needs his little sister to step in and go on a ridiculous spree of just putting every gun she can think of on a, on a vehicle or a humanoid. Yeah, he's got um, these five heads, and he says, I just don't know what to do with you. Oh, how insulted should they be? that new ones are getting made all the time while they're <laughs> still on the shelf. <laughs> you can just sew those on to, hey, there's five pieces of jungle fiver and there's five talking heads. You know, I think that is an episode, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, that for whatever reason, all the boys are disabled and the, the heads come to the rescue like that. Hmm. I guess they I guess they didn't want to be too blatant in ripping off Transformers headmasters. Now, the robot designs, I think the robots are pretty good in this show. They're all right, um, yeah. I kind of like their, uh, well, they're distinct, 
mm-hmm. they're just think to the show they got bright colors like primary yellow deep blues and reds white black yeah pretty solid yeah. um character designs are okay i'm not sure how i feel whenever i see that one pant leg oh so <laughs> uh, blitzy i like her design overall kind of um she has one stocking that goes up makes me think that these are like the shorts that have zip away pant legs yeah and the one's kind of like rumpled down at her ankle but yeah. all the time so it's a style choice yeah yeah this is like a final fantasy character's clothes also she's like in a tradition of spunky redhead sisters <laughs> Right? There's, like, one in pole position. I think there's one in Jason the Wheeled Warriors, and I'm sure there's more out there. <laughs> the 3D, we talked about it. It, The show would be better off without it. And, yeah. Uh, there's so much... Um, there's so many instances of foreground objects throughout the shows moving through. You know, I think that most or all of it should have been 3D or was meant to be 3D. <laughs> and then the realities of implementing it came in, whether it was time, money, or both. Now, mm. the 3D itself, you'd think, like, if if there had, like, a lot of refinement to, this, to doing it, they'd have something like Jammers would be on screen and his arm would be in 3D, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Like, there's limitations. They, they have to be constantly moving, but you could do that for a shot. But instead, the 3D amounts to, like, a tree branch passes by while people are doing stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's a fire hydrant that goes through or whatever. Well, yeah, Um, it's a gimmick. Totally. Mm -hmm. But it makes me wonder if it could be good. But (laughs) anyway, um, the music in the show actually by Alain Garcia and neither Shuki Levy nor Haim Saban. Yeah. You can tell because it sucks. (laughs) Yeah. You don't you don't like the uh do 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 I mean there are NES games with better soundtracks than this show. Well everybody remembers it as you found out. Apparently. Well it's a rap. Like the the like the title sequence is a rap. And also, oh, I didn't even think about this until just now. Yeah. It's like all the bots are rapping and they're, you know, they're rhyming and stuff is like and whatever. And then it's ZZ's turn to rap. Yeah. And he goes, I'm Ziv Zoolander, ZZ for short. I something about the corp. Well, take down the corp. I'm the bots master. Like he gets to rap and he can't even make a rhyme. <laughs> you know what? Um, Stupid in idiot. The, in the rapping and dialogue, I forgot that all the bo- all the boys um, substitute Zs for Ss for every word. Yeah, pretty much. Yep. It's like, yep. you know what this is? Did you what? see the Homestar Runner Xeriously Forks? I kind of remember. Yeah. Yeah, it's that. Like, it's I always thought that that drew most of its inspiration from Lunatics Unleashed. Yeah. But boy, there's some definite bots master DNA in that. <laughs> so all all the S's are Z's. Yep. Um three of the boys have inline skates. <laughs> this show is 90s as heck. Oh boy, is it ever. <laughs> like some rundown what I think are kind of interesting notes for the voices. Um I don't have any notes on on uh, Lady Frenzy, unfortunately. Mm. Um Mark Hildreth 
is your other favorite character, Zizi. And he's also everybody's favorite, Kaz from the New Adventures of He-Man. <laughs> <laughs> that little boy that kept on getting in trouble. Right, um, right. Eon James Corlett is Dr. Hiss, also Goku for some of the DBZ dub. Wow. And and Mega Man, super fighting robot. Oh, in the anime um, one? Would you call it anime? Well... The, the Mega Man show. Yeah, yeah. okay, okay. Because, like, I'm just, you know, you have to draw the distinction between Captain N, Mega Man, and Mega Man... Oh, right. Whatever. Yeah, speaking of which, ZZ looks like he's a descendant of Captain N. Yeah, he looks bland um, enough. <laughs> um, Michael Donovan is Genesis and Cook. You know what? Also... Mm, yeah. Go ahead. Well, he's also a Randor and Count Marzo in the 2002 He-Man. That was the only name in this cast that I recognized. And I think I'm not 100% sure of this, but I think he was one of my teachers when I took a voice acting course at Vancouver Film School. Neat. Oh, if only you'd known to ask about Botsmaster. Only got one more, but he's very recognizable. Terry Klassen is Denerd. Also, Krillin and Master Roshi in the Ocean Studios Dragon Ball Z. Hmm. He's got a very recognizable Vancouver voice actor voice. <laughs> um, so this show marred by some preposterous action, a 3D effect that isn't worth it, some pretty irritating characters. I would say that it did kind of scratch an itch because this is 1993 and this kind of show wasn't really on. <laughs> um, but ironically, that's also why it didn't work is the idea of selling toys for this. In 1993, it was behind, really yeah, behind the times. Yeah, it's, it's late. You needed, you needed to do this two presidents ago. The toys are pretty cool, actually, though. Yeah? Yeah, maybe we'll share, share some peeks of those. Yeah, I, I actually never bothered to look it up now that I think about it. But I just kind of assume they're action figures. Yeah, the, the Hiss toy looks pretty good. Hmm. Pretty accurate. Ninjas looks cool. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. All right. All right. I think we can bury Botsmaster. Yeah. An interesting experiment. Interesting experiment. You know, it's it's the kind of thing that you got to watch once in a while. Like somebody once asked me, like when I was describing this podcast, like, has Mike ever or she didn't know your name, but she's like, is, yeah. has your host ever given you anything where you've gone? No, that was poo. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, this was a long time ago when I was I was like, well, I can't remember what the first thing that came I, to my I, mind was, but I was like. Sometimes Planet. it's boring yeah. if we just like everything we talk about. Right. We had good jokes about this show. Yeah. It's not the, it's not the Ebert zero out of five. <laughs> and actually, I do kind of like this. There's things I like about the show. It's just kind of imperfect. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I think we, uh, we've got to get to new stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, time once again to do cartoon shorts. Mm. And I chose a theme for mine. Oh boy. Yeah. You'll see what that theme is. In fact, the titles will say it. Okay. So you remember last time we did shorts, I gave you duck Dodgers. And then as you were reviewing it, I said, actually, this was a panic selection because I couldn't, I (laughs) I forgot the thing that I was going to give you. And I promised to give you the thing that I was going to give you last time, this time. And so I am, I am going to give you, and another thing I like to do is characters that we haven't covered before. 
Yes. This is a Mr. Magoo. Um, it is called Pink and Blue Blues. Okay. And following in the theme, a Pink Panther cartoon mm. called The Pink Fink. And Fink is spelled P-H-I-N-K. Oh. Neat, 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 neat. Okay. Um, I thought about doing a theme... But, you know, there's just too many things to get to. I just, okay, I did do something interesting. I cheated. Uh, my first cartoon is so short that I gave you two of them. Okay. So I'm giving you Tales of the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're going to do The Dinner Party as well as Going to Pieces. All right. And, boy, it's been too long. Popeye. Oh, yeah. And the Popeye cartoon I want you to watch is Never Kick a Woman. Huh. Seems like good advice. I, <laughs> yeah. I'm i with Popeye on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care who knows it. <laughs> yeah, I side with Popeye on beating women. <laughs> or, <laughs> or, you know, his, his, his opposition to it, I should say. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah. So Mr. Magoo, Pink and Blue Blues, The Pink Panther, The Pink Fink, uh, Tales... And hmm? of the Wizard of Oz, The Dinner Party, Going to Pieces, and Popeye, Never, Never Kick, Kick a, a woman. woman. All right, everybody can agree. Okay, so everybody can also agree that this is a great podcast, but make sure that mm. other people agree by telling them about it so they can tell us that they like it. Uh, we need the downloads, yo. Um, tell us what you want us to watch and talk about, because we totally will. Um, a good place to do it is on Twitter, and I am at ACMatsy. Right, and I'm at DrabSwatch on the Twitters, and coming soon, Truth Social. And now, tonight's scores. The home team for your town in whatever sport you like came up short tonight, but with two assists in the losing cause, it's the Celery Stalker's slogan. Can you believe this woman? Her, thinking she can just bat her eyelashes, speak in a low voice, and get my brother to walk into a trap like that. 